Our reading today is from Amos 8, 4 to 7. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Thanks, Amy. I won't forget this famous words that many of us can remember from favorite hero movies, right? I want you to think of your favorite hero movie. And inevitably, in most of our favorite hero movies, there's a scene where things are going badly for the hero, and he's facing some terrible villain, and that villain's bringing about all kinds of destruction to people. And maybe the hero's in a tough spot where it looks like maybe that hero will die too. And, and there's always this spot where the camera zooms in on the hero and he says this to the villain, I won't forget this. You're not gonna get away with this. That's sort of like what we have happening in our passage today. God is the hero of the story and he's telling the wicked people of Israel who are oppressing the poor, I won't forget this. You're not gonna get away with this. You know, last week Nathan preached on how to change God's mind and taught us that one of the biggest things that drives God crazy is idolatry, right? Trading God in for counterfeit gods. And this week could actually be seen as part two in a mini-series of things that drive God crazy. So if you think of idolatry as like the top of the list, not far behind that is oppressing the poor. Like if you want to get on God's bad side, just do everything you can to extort and oppress and take advantage of the poor. It gets God all kinds of fired up. It makes him really, really, really angry. He says, oh, I saw that, and I'm not going to forget it. You won't get away with it. Now, some of you might still be wrestling from last week with the idea that God gets angry about things, that he has wrath. Wrath just means a fierce anger towards something. But he has wrath towards people for doing certain things. It's a bit of a hard concept for us to wrap our minds around, especially if you grew up with the idea of God being some sort of like cosmic Santa Claus, right? Where he's just up there just kind of being nice all the time. Maybe you can get on his naughty list, but that just means you're not getting what you ask for all the time. But, but really, he's always just generally in a good mood and nice. And so dealing with the idea of God's wrath can be very challenging. And the Croatian theologian Miroslav Volf wrestles through this idea helpfully, I think, and he puts it like this. He says, I used to think that wrath was unworthy of God. Isn't God love? Shouldn't divine love be beyond wrath? God is love, and God loves every person and every creature. That's exactly why God is wrathful against some of them. My last resistance to the idea of God's wrath was a casualty of the war in the former Yugoslavia, the region from which I come. According to some estimates, 200,000 people were killed and over 3 million were displaced. My villages and cities were destroyed. 
my people shelled day in and day out, some of them brutalized beyond imagination. And I could not imagine God not being angry. Or think of Rwanda in the last decade of the past century where 800,000 people were hacked to death in 100 days. How did God react to the carnage? By doting on the perpetrators in a grandparently fashion? By refusing to condemn the bloodbath, but instead affirming the perpetrators' basic goodness? Wasn't God fiercely angry with them? Though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. You get that? That's a powerful, really important point for you to understand as you read through the scriptures. God is wrathful because God is love. And a God who doesn't get angry about anything can't possibly be good. You know, the anger of God bothers us. It rubs us the wrong way. Sometimes it makes us uncomfortable to talk about his anger and his wrath in certain ways. Um, but Wolf would just, would just suggest that's only because you haven't really suffered at the hands of others like he had, like his people had, brutally murdered by evildoers. Then we might understand better why God must have wrath towards sin. So then the big idea here is that God does, in fact, get angry about stuff, and especially about the oppression of the poor and the needy. That's the big emphasis of all of our texts. If you've been reading along in the lectionary, there's just this one common thread that runs through all our passages. We read Psalm 113 today, and that is that God is constantly standing up for the poor. God is constantly coming to bat for them. He's constantly lifting them up. He's constantly rescuing them, and he's coming against those who oppress them. That's the big theme of our passage from Amos today as well. So as we look at this passage from Amos, I want us to ask three questions about this warning that God gives. He gives this really stern warning. First of all, who is this warning addressed to? What are they doing in order to get this warning? And then what's the promise made in this warning or the oath that God makes in this warning? So let's start. First, who is this warning addressed to? Look at verse 4. The prophet says, or God says through the prophet, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. You're trampling on the needy, you're bringing the poor to an end. That's who this is addressed to, this warning. And we need to do a bit of background on the book of Amos. This, Amos is not a book I've ever preached out of, by the way. Um, I appreciate that about the lectionary, that it brings up texts that we don't look at very often. But it's a really important book. It's important. It was important back then, and it's important for us today. Amos was a humble shepherd and a dresser of fig trees, and he lived right on the border between Judah, the southern kingdom, and um, Israel, the northern kingdom. So you remember that Israel was split into two at, at one point in their history, and Amos lived right on the border. So he wasn't um, a resident of the northern kingdom, but he lived during the time when Jeroboam II reigned as king in the northern kingdom of Israel. And um, Jeroboam II was a great military leader. He accomplished lots of things for Israel um, in battles, but he was a really wicked person. 2 Kings uh, 14 says he did that which was evil in the sight of Yahweh. And one of the evils that he did and led Israel in was the oppression of the poor. It was one of the things that just disgusts God. And this was a blatant violation of the instruction that God had given to his people over and over again. God had made himself perfectly clear 
how his people were supposed to operate with the poor, the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner. He had said it over and over and over again. And this is going to sound redundant, but I'm going to read some of these passages just to show you how clear God had been and why he was angry to see them doing the opposite. Look at Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, or just listen because I don't expect you to flip there. Um, This is in the Torah, and we looked at these laws when we went through the book of Ruth, looked at gleaning laws. Listen to this. God says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So God says, Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22, it goes on. He says, when you reap your harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Are you starting to see a pattern? Then... Additionally, God made provisions for the poor to receive their land back and to be set free from slavery in this beautiful um, concept called the year of Jubilee. We've talked about this before. Every 50 years, God said, I'm going to have this giant reset button because back then you didn't have all kinds of insurance to protect you from disasters. So if disaster overtook you and your family and you got poor, you had to sell yourself into some sort of indentured servanthood. Jubilee was the year you were looking forward to. Every 50 years, if you had to sell your family's land, you go back to that land. It gets returned to you. You come out of slavery. You're set free. It's an amazing time. Listen how God made provision for people in that. It says, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So he says, hey, take care of your brothers. And then he says, if a man has no one to redeem it and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it. And pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it and then return to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee it shall be released and he shall return to his property. Fascinating, isn't it? God says, I'm going to make a way for people not to remain poor for generations and generations to come. Because, you know, poor poverty is cyclical. It, It continues on if the cycle is not broken. He says this in verse 35 of of the same chapter. If your brother becomes poor, this is how you're supposed to treat your poor brother who who becomes poor, and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and be your God. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his clan and return to the possession of his father. So you see, friends, God was very, very, very specific. Like Israel can't say, well, did you actually tell us this? No, he told them over and over and over again in as specific of terms as he could possibly make how the poor were to be treated. And yet God's really angry because he sees the exact opposite is happening in Israel under the wicked king Jeroboam II. 
So God, the Holy Spirit, moves on the prophet Amos. He's actually not a prophet. He's just a shepherd, but he becomes a prophet. He says, go and tell them to repent of this wickedness. Tell them that I've got a promise for them. Tell them that I'm going to bring them to destruction if they don't turn. It's a message that was really important for Israel back then, and it's still super important for the new Israel, for the church today. We need to hear what Amos says So what exactly was it that these Israelites were doing to bring about God making this big threat, making this big promise to them, this swearing this oath? Well, let's look at it, verse 5 and 6. They were saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chaff of the wheat. What's going on here? Well, the new moon was a Jewish festival or holiday on which they couldn't conduct any business. Just like the Sabbath was a weekly um, holy day or holiday in which they couldn't conduct any business. And so the picture that you get here is all these religious people sitting around saying, all right, we're practicing these religious laws. We're not working on these days. But while they're practicing these religious holidays, Their hearts are just pining. They're just chomping at the bit to get back to work, extorting and taking advantage of the poor. It's like, what's wrong with this picture? Why even take a holiday if that's what you're just longing to do? Get back to work so you can extort the poor. And there are four specific practices that they were doing according to this passage. So let's look at them. First of all, they were making the ephah small. Making the ephah small. So an ephah was a measurement of dry goods. Those of you who have... Um, a history in farming, it was uh, similar to a bushel, right? So think of kind of a, a big basket, like one of those apple baskets or something. And if you're selling wheat, for instance, um, you might say, okay, this is an ephah worth of wheat, and then they pay a certain price for it. But what happens if you kind of make your basket a little smaller? Well, you're gouging them, right? You're getting the same amount of money for less product. That's what they were doing. It was crafty, it was clever, but it was wicked. Then they also made the shekel great. So shekel was a measurement of weight, and they would use balance scales back in the day, right? We've all seen them. I was going to try to bring one today, but we just don't have time. And a balance scale had like a fulcrum in the middle and then two containers on each side that needed to balance out, and that's how you would pay for stuff. So um, if you were coming to me to buy wheat, I would say, okay, that's one shekel, and I would have my weight, my shekel weight, that would equal one shekel, and then you would have to put enough weight of silver on the other side to balance it out. That's how you would pay me for that product. But what happens if I make my shekel weight a little heavier? You have to put more silver on that other side to balance it out. So they were making their shekels heavier. They were were making unjust balances. And God says, don't do that. You're gouging people. It's wrong, especially treating the poor that way. They're, they're working their tails off just to try to make it, and then somebody's charging them more for the same product, right? Thirdly, they're buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. So basically back then, as I've already mentioned, when people couldn't afford basic necessities, eventually it would put them over the edge to where they would have to sell themselves into some sort of indentured, sla- in, in, indentured servanthood, Right? And so like a pair of sandals, the, their last meal of food, they didn't know if somebody was nearing financial ruin, the rich in this country would sense it like vultures, 
They would sense like, oh, they're getting near, and they would start circling. And maybe that meant that they would charge them a little bit extra for this thing or that thing. And then at some point, they just knew they needed to be near when they crumbled and said, okay, I give up. I'll come work for you. You can have my stuff because my family's got to eat. So they would swoop in and buy them, their kids, and all their possessions for pennies on the dollar. They were, they were vultures about it. And God says, that is awful. That's wrong. Why aren't you helping them try to stay on their feet instead of gouging them and looking to take advantage of them? That's the, fourth, the third thing they were doing. The fourth thing they were doing is selling the, tra- the chaff off with the wheat. So obviously we had to go through a process of being sifted where the chaff would fall out of it and then you'd just be left with the, the actual kernels of wheat that could be used to make flour. And what they would do is the, the, the chaff would often, like the husks would often fall to the floor. And if you were being, you know, if you were cheating your customers, you could sweep some of that chaff into the wheat bin and sell it along with it. Right? It'd be kind of like if you've ever bought pistachios. There's a big difference between buying shelled pistachios versus unshelled pistachios. You get way more pistachios if you buy them without the shell on them. Well, the same thing is true with wheat. Like if you're buying the wheat with the chaff, you're not going to get as much. It's not usable to the person who's buying it. And God says, don't do that. Like you're, you're gouging people. Now, the tough thing for us is like we're not living in this kind of uh, an economy anymore. Um, But there are definite applications for us, too. And I want you to be thinking about that. Like, how are we operating in our business practices to not only not take advantage of the poor, but make things advantageous for them? What are we doing that, that might fall in line with these certain practices? I'm really thankful that in South Dakota, we've passed legislation to ban certain predatory lending practices. I mean, I used to spend hours on the phone with these payday loan places because our people here in Life Church would get into a tough bind. They would get a couple thousand dollars on a payday loan. It would be insane amounts of interest, and they would go further and further and further into debt until they, they just were swallowed up by it. And that stuff, and much of it is illegal now, but we have to remember, most of the richest people in our nation, in our state, many of them have made their money off of high-interest, low-balance credit cards given to people with really poor credit scores. There's a reason they become that rich. And I'm not innocent in that. One of my first jobs out of college, I worked for a big bank, and I was selling credit. And back then, I was making really good money because I could talk people into stuff. Imagine that, right? You know, like, uh, and, and I remember having a Christian boss and talking to him and saying, hey, you know, these people had credit scores in the fours and 500s, and we were giving them um, credit cards with cash advance capabilities and super high interest rates, and I remember saying, I don't know, I just don't know if I, this is right. And he's like, well, Dave, you know, these are grown-ups. They're, they're big people. They can make their own decisions. And I'm like, yeah, but this is not good for them. Like, clearly, we're going to be sending them over to the collections department in a couple months. Like, it's going to be bad for them. And I regret it. I regret having that job, taking that job. Yeah, it was good money, but I think Christians should run from that kind of work like the plague. It better to be poor than to make your money on, on the backs of the poor people, right? Better to be poor yourself than to do that. That's what God's saying here. And there's so many examples that we could use and so many illustrations and things that we could highlight. But the big idea is this. Are you conducting your business practices in a way that reflects you know God is watching? 
I mean, that's the big problem here, right, with the people of Israel, is they, they're conducting themselves in all these shrewd little ways, cutting all these corners, cheating people here and there, and taking advantage of the poor, as if they don't think God is watching. And this is Amos's big reminder to them, yes, he is. He is watching. He does see it. And he says, I won't forget it. I won't forget what you're doing. You're not going to get away with this. Which leads us to our final point. God swears an oath to Israel here. Look at verse 7. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. I won't forget what you've done. What a terrifying thing to hear from an all-powerful, completely just God when you've been keeping your thumb on the poor. It's terrifying. I won't forget what you've done. God's like the big brother, the kid on the playground you just beat up, right? And you think he's kind of a wussy kid, and then all of a sudden you see his hulking huge brother come up to him like, hey, who did this to you? And then he points his scrawny little finger at you, says, that guy, that person. And his brother says, I won't forget this. That's like God here. I won't forget it. You're picking on the wrong person here. And it turns out God kept his word to Israel. If we look at the rest of the, the scriptures, they turned a deaf ear to Amos. And just a few years later, they were invaded by the Assyrian army and carried off into exile. So when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Unfortunately, in this case, for the people of Israel. Now, when it comes to God making a promise concerning the poor, we also have to remember that the promise goes both ways. There are, there's two sides to the promise of God. It's both positive and negative. He will not forget when we mistreat and abuse and take advantage of the poor, but he also doesn't forget when we're good to the poor, when we share with the poor, when we lift them up. Listen to all these scriptures on the positive side of things. Psalm 41.1 says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Isn't that awesome? Proverbs 19.17, this is one of my favorites. Who is, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. God, God sees being generous to the poor as giving to him. Proverbs 28, 27, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. So you see, friends, the promise goes both ways. God says, I won't forget what you're doing in oppressing them and taking advantage of the poor, but I also won't forget when you're lifting them up and encouraging them and blessing them. And this has always been God's message to his people, always. It's still God's message to us today. You might say that our treatment of the poor is one of God's litmus tests for his people. It's one of the ways that he knows these are really my people. Because the Bible tells us over and over again, there are many people that will say they belong to God, say they're followers of Jesus, and they're not. They're just all talk, right? We have to expect that. But Jesus says in places like Matthew 25, that's not going to be a hard thing for him to figure out. He can see right through that stuff. He can see right through all of our pretending. And he says, one of the ways I'll know the sheep from the goats, my followers from those people who don't belong to me, is I'll just look at how they treated the poor, the needy, how they treated the, the hungry, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned. That's what Jesus says. It'll be easy for me to tell. And from the first century on, this has been a hallmark of true Christians. Listen to what the Roman Emperor Julian said about the early Christians. He writes this letter to one of his servants, and he's really frustrated because the Christians are growing in popularity because of their care for the poor. 
and he's like, this doesn't look good on us because we're not doing anything for the Roman poor. He says this, it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg and the impious Galileans or the Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. So he's saying, look, at these Christians are caring not just for their own poor, but for the Roman poor as well. And, and we're not doing anything. Like, we look bad here. We have to figure something out. That's been a hallmark of Christianity from the first century. It's part of what it means to have God's heart beating inside of us, is to have an eye out, to be looking out for the poor and the needy, those who are afflicted, the orphan, the widow, the sojourner, the immigrant, Right? Those are the categories of people that God's heart is really near. And so as we close here today, we just have to ask ourselves this one question. Like, what does it look like for us to be this kind of a church? The kind of church that says when, that when God looks at us and says, I won't forget this, it's actually a positive thing. Like, I want God to look at us and say, I won't forget this, but I want that to be a positive thing. Because it can be a positive thing, Right? According to the scriptures, it can be a positive thing when God says, I won't forget this. But how do we do that? Well, there's so many ways you can get involved. I mean, obviously, we're in, there's a huge war going on. There's, there's so many things that you can support around the world. But I'm going to give you just a few that we're really tangled up in that you can get involved in now. And, and I only have time to mention a few. But the first thing is um, we do our benevolence giving in the community through the community outreach, which is um, an organization it's on the Empower campus, and it's, it was started by churches saying, we want to meet needs in really effective ways in our city, and we've found that sometimes people will go around and give us all the same story collecting money from the churches. And so we said, okay, well, that's not super effective, and it kind of uses up all the pastor's time. So they said, look, we're going to hire um, workers who are really skilled at this, who know about all the other resources in the city, and then churches can send their benevolence funds through us. And so that's what we do here at Life Church. And just this past week, I had a lady reach out to me and said, hey, me and my husband, we've been sick. Um, we've had to take some time away from work. We got behind on a couple car payments. Is the church able to help us? I said, yep, let me set up an appointment for you down at the community outreach. Sometimes when I do that, people say, no, no thanks. We don't want to go down there. And usually then that's how I know, like, they don't really, really need help. Well, this lady did. She kept her appointment. She met with Melanie down there. They walked through things. Melanie said, hey, Dave, I really think this would be a good use of the church's funds to help get her caught up on two car payments. Um, the community outreach does not have funds for that. Will your church cover it? And I said, absolutely. Because that's why, that's one of the things you guys are generous to on Sunday mornings that goes to helping people in our community, right? God doesn't forget that. We're invested deeply in the elementary immersion center down the road with Jane Adams Elementary. Last several years, I don't know how many years we've been supporting that staff and that team. And why are we so passionate about it? Well, one of the big reasons is every immigrant family that comes to Sioux Falls starts their kids out there. You hear how many times the sojourner is mentioned in the Bible? That's them. The immigrants that moved to Sioux Falls, we want them to be welcomed. We want the staff that are taking care of them to be energized, to know that the churches appreciate them and what they're doing in this city. And so we're supporting them, trying to encourage them, bringing them snacks, bringing them meals to their, um, to their teacher in-services, all kinds of things like that. Charity and Jenny Ward have done such a fantastic job leading the charge with that. And there's way more to be done, but they got a new principle, so we're kind of working to build that relationship again. So that's one way you can get involved as well. God doesn't forget that stuff. Uh, we work with the Gathering Well. 
locally. We've mentioned this several times, but it's worth saying again, to support local adoptive and foster care families in Sioux Falls. We want them trained well. We want them encouraged and equipped. You can volunteer to do child care. You can give money. There's lots of ways you get involved there. We also have an adoption fund at Life Church. If you, and, if you are looking to adopt and get involved in that awesome kingdom work, we want to support you financially. We want to put our money where our hearts are, right? We want to give into that. God doesn't forget those kinds of things. Um, we work with Shift Garage to make sure that the working poor in Sioux Falls have reliable transportation so they can get to work. Um, that's a really big need in this city, especially when the weather gets really, really cold. Um, biking to work is not a great option. So if you can turn a wrench, they need your help volunteering there to fix cars. If you can donate money, that's great. If you've got a used car that still works okay, they can use it, right? They can fix it up and give that car to somebody as reliable transportation. Of course, there's lots of other poor regions around the world too. So we partner with Adams Thermal Foundation. We just sent a team over there um, and they were both blessed and were a blessing. But we do a lot of that work through child sponsorship. So we love Adams Thermal Foundation, working one of the poorest regions in Ethiopia. And just to support those kids, make sure that they have an education. Um, we partnered with Reconcile World last year to help build a church in Nepal. You need to understand, God doesn't forget that stuff. Many of you gave generously to that work. God doesn't forget that. You'll get to hear from the Luke Society in a couple of weeks about their work around the world supporting doctors in their local communities and all the fantastic things that are going on through that. You can give to that. You'll have opportunity to support them. God doesn't forget those kinds of things. The opportunities are literally endless for us to get involved in the things that God does not forget. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, Okay, Pastor Dave, I get it. I get how it can be both a positive and a negative thing that God says to us, I won't forget that when it comes to the poor. But maybe you're saying, hey, look, if God's judging me just based on how I've treated the poor, I'm in hot water because I haven't always been good to the poor, right? I, sometimes I've hoarded my wealth. Sometimes I've turned my back on my head from the needy. I've said, I just can't look at that stuff. I just don't want to know about it. I just want to kind of plug my ears and close my eyes. If that's you and you're saying, I, I don't know how my standing will be before God if it's just based on how I've treated the poor, well, good. You should be worried about that because the truth is that none of us have loved the poor as we've loved ourselves. The truth is none of us have cared for the poor to the standard that God would have us do it. None of us could be righteous based on that. But here's the great news this morning. God, in sending Jesus for us, said, I can't forget your sin. I won't forget your sin. And so I've taken it upon myself so that I can forgive it. I will take the punishment that you deserve for your unjust practices so that you can go free. And not just so that you can go free. Here's the even better part of the news. When Jesus takes our sin upon himself, it doesn't just allow us to go free, but it allows us to actually become free. See, when he died and rose again, he didn't just uh, cancel the consequences of our sin, but he took away the power of it. So no longer do we have to be chained to selfish and greedy hearts. Now we can become the generous, kind, poor, loving people that God meant for us to be. He's given his very spirit to live inside of us and to lead us to that kind of life. So if this good news about Jesus is new to you this morning. We want to invite you up for prayer. There'll be people up here to pray with you. 
we would invite you to come and receive that free gift of salvation that he's earned through his death and resurrection for you. The only thing you need to do is come as a poor person. Come as if you're broke. Empty hands, empty arms, nothing to offer to God. That's what gets his attention. That's what he loves. And he'll be waiting for you this morning. For the rest of us who are Christians, I'm hoping that we can just take some time of reflection and pray as the worship team comes back up. We're going to sing a song. And I love this song because it's just, it's just exactly what we need, right? We can't in our own strength muster up enough compassion to treat the poor as we need to. And let's face it, with all the news stories around, you can get compassion fatigue pretty quickly, right? You can just get worn out with how much need there is in the world. But here's the awesome thing. Our God is a limitless supply of compassion. So when we're allowing him to work through us, we don't run out. He's our source, right? He's the one that will continue to give out through us. He's the one that can, will continue to care through us. And we need him desperately to lead us to the life that we don't want him to forget. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. And then the worship team is going to come as we just cry out to God, give us your heart, Lord. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this word from Amos. Uh, we need it badly too, Lord. We are wicked. We, we like to arrange things for our own benefit. We like, to, um, we like when things uh, are advantageous to us financially, and we like to seek our own gain. Lord, would you help us to turn from that? Would you help us to put ourselves last like you did, Jesus? Would you help us to seek to be servants of the poor, the needy, the orphan, the widow, the sojourner? We love you for being the God that you are, the defender of the poor. Make us like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we close?